Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. Today we're chatting with Linda. So Linda, if you just want to give us a little bit of an introduction to who you are, that would be great. Yeah, I'm Linda. I'm 34 years old and I'm now a stay-at-home mom. Um, I have four little kids. Um, I have a seven-year-old daughter, a four-year-old son, um, and a two-year-old daughter and a new little baby. She's just two months old. And I now stay at home with them, but I earned my PhD in chemistry. So I was teaching college and um, I left that when my second was born. So I did a little bit of work. Um, actually, my daughter got to go with me, uh, which was pretty awesome. And, and so now I live in the Kansas City metro area with um, my husband, and he's currently working from home um, as a software engineer, which has been um, a big blessing for COVID because this whole pregnancy uh, he was home for. So that was that was a nice little surprise in the, the craziness of the pandemic. So yeah, definitely. And I've heard that from a lot of people. It's been nice to have that extra support around if people have been able to work from home or be home mm-hmm. a little bit more with all of the virtual options these days. So that makes a difference sometimes. Yeah. And when you're like really sick and you know, they can help get lunch for the kids or whatever right. that was. You had three other kids to worry about. <laughs> that, was that, that was nice. Right. Yeah. Um, it gets a little bit harder and that, you know, you just, you just learn to juggle and, and enjoy the chaos of motherhood. So definitely. Well, take us back to that first uh, pregnancy that you had with your oldest kiddo. So um, my husband and I got married in um, April of 2012. And we knew pretty quickly we we wanted to start trying um, or just kind of let's see what happens. Um, I wouldn't say it was actively trying from the first first cycle but we got pregnant in September um, with our first and we knew that I had low progesterone so I had to go in right away to make sure that I didn't have a miscarriage and make sure my levels were great so that started off well but I think because I had those low progesterones it just kind of assumed care with the OB that I was already established with. It wasn't, I didn't search around and say, oh, this is a good OB to have, or I I didn't really question any of that. It was just like, this is what we did. And it was fine. The doctor was good. Um, I feel like it was a pretty standard um, prenatal care, but the one exception is I had HG. So I was struggling to keep anything down. I think I was throwing up 50 to 100 times a day uh, for about the first 22 weeks. I was on Maxolfran and Reglan at the same time. Uh, I would go down on the weekends to um, visit family and get IV fusions um, down there because my, my OB, I just don't think he understood how bad it was. And maybe I never conveyed it because I was still working. Like I was teaching college at the time I had to leave my class 
three or four times in a 50 minute lecture to go throw up. Like, oh my goodness, it was, it, it was rough, but I didn't know any different. It was my first pregnancy. So I just, you know, kind of sucked it up and went on. Um, and so when we were getting towards the end of pregnancy, um, things were, I wasn't getting as sick as often. Um, but I was still working out every day. I was, you know, trying to be as healthy as I can, very um, conscientious of what I was eating. But I noticed around 26 weeks that baby still seemed like she, I didn't know, we didn't know the sex at the time, didn't, that she was head down. And so it was something I had started questioning. um, And I brought it up to my OB around 32 weeks. And I was like, hey, I don't, I don't like my baby's head down. Oh, there's plenty of time for that. Plenty of time. Okay, great. Um, And so this went on like every single appointment that I questioned. I was like, I don't think my baby's head down. And um, I finally got to the 36-week appointment. And we had a very long discussion about external version and all the things needed to do uh, if I had a breech baby, like what my options were. Um, At that time, my OB still didn't think my baby was breech. And just kind of got the patronizing, they're there, you're a first time mom, you don't, you're just stressing about nothing for nothing's sake, you know, and I go in for my 38 week appointment, um, and I went by myself that time. Again, I brought it up, it was the first time he had done an internal exam to see how far I was dilated. And, and I was like, I really don't think this baby's head down. And again, it was kind of like the same thing, like baby's vertex, there's, like that this is baby's head down here and I, you know, and I remember leaving that appointment and I just felt so disheartened by like the lack of the doctor trusting me and maternal intuition. Um, and so when I was talking to my husband, he was like, well, I'll just come to the 39 week appointment. We will, I'll make sure you get an ultrasound if you think baby's still not head down. So at first I was relieved and then I was kind of upset. I was like, I need my husband, a man to come in here and like kind of lay down the law. So I was pretty frustrated, but I was like, okay, I don't want to be the crazy first time mom demanding all the tests. And little did I know that I would go into labor three days later. Um, and so we never had that ultrasound. Um, and um, we had done Bradley, uh, the Bradley method um, in terms of like prepping. So my husband and I had every intention of doing things as natural as possible. So I didn't sign C-section consent. I was not going to do an IV lock. I was, you know, I was going to basically try to go in more or less like right before I needed to push. Like that was the game plan, you know, like, and with all things birth, they're very predictable. So so that that was the plan and we were both you know on the same page and then the night i went into labor well it was kind of the afternoon i decided that i needed to to mow the lawn because i wanted to make sure that we had a freshly mowed lawn when i came so you were home. in labor when you decided you wanted to uh, mow the lawn yeah, or right before no, it was, it was early labor. I didn't know it at the time, but I was like, these are, these are a little heavier than Braxton Hicks. But um, <laughs> so yeah, nine months pregnant, mowing the lawn in June. It's just, it was, it was, it was good. I, I come in and I'm timing my contractions. They're about seven minutes apart. So I'm like, okay, you know, like probably should relax a little bit, but my husband had 
a Frisbee, uh, like pickup game at the park. And I always went with him because I would walk laps. And normally I'd walk anywhere from two to three miles. I think I walked like a half a mile that day. And I was like, you were oh, yeah. tired from mowing the lawn. Right, right. I was like, <laughs> I, I can't do this. Like, I don't know what my problem was. And I was just convinced I was going to 41 weeks. And so I was 39 plus two days at this point. And I was like, I'm not in labor. Like, I, I'm not in labor. And I actually even joked with a couple of people. I'm like, see you next week. I'll still be pregnant, you know, like. So we we leave and um, we decided to go get milkshakes because it was really hot outside and just it was kind of nice so just a, a little date with my husband and we get home and I was like okay I, sh- I should probably go to bed soon in case I really am in labor and at this point I'm timing contractions and they're five minutes apart and I don't know why I'm thinking like I'm not in labor but I was still convinced I was two weeks away so I go to bed like at 9 30 or at least lay down um, and and then about 11 o'clock I get up and I'm like okay I I I'm kind of like you, I can't lay down when I'm in labor, like the contractions, like for me, I need to be up on a birthing ball or showering or something. And so my husband then realizes he doesn't have his power cord for his laptop, which is at work. So we drive to his work at 11 o'clock at night to go get his power cord. So I decide to stay in the lobby and he goes up in the elevators to go grab his power cord. And the security guard comes in and he's looking at me and he's like, oh, dear God, lady, please don't have this baby on the floor because my contractions are five minutes apart. Like I'm, I'm having to work for these contractions at this point. And uh, you could just see his face. And I was like, we need to get out of here. I think we're going to give him a panic attack. So we leave um, and we get back home. So I encouraged my husband to go to bed because I didn't know, you know, how long this was going to take. And kind of did all all the things that I could think of. I showered, I was sitting on the birthing ball, sitting on the toilet backwards, just trying to, to labor. And about 2.30, 3 o'clock, I wake him up and um, I was having intense back labor at this point. So I, I needed the counter pressure. So he got up and helped um, and just jammed his hands or his feet and my back, uh, every contraction. So um, he was always right there with me. Um, and about, uh, it was, it was about five 30 in the morning. We start kind of like, all right, contractions are less than four minutes apart over a minute long. We should probably start thinking about getting to the hospital. And it was about a 30 minute drive. And we passed like seven hospitals on the way to our hospital, which is always fun. My husband decided that he needed to get some McDonald's on the way because he was hungry and I felt really bad for him because then the car smelled <laughs> like McDonald's and then then I'm throwing up on the way to the hospital. So it was, it was, it was you know, just charming. <laughs> was there a reason you chose that specific hospital? You said you passed a couple on the way and that one was um, Partly that's just because where my OB was. Um, so because I had the low progesterone, um, I needed a doctor who would monitor Uh, low progesterone and I know that it's crazy but it's still like controversial to a lot of OBs so that's where he was that's where I went but um, it wasn't like oh this is the best hospital it was just like oh that's where my doctor's at Um, so we go and 
I'm scared to death of the like can't eat or drink and labor and or all those silly hospital protocols that are not meant for laboring women. So I chucked like 64 ounces of Gatorade in this 30 minute drive. So by the time we get to the hospital, which um, the main doors of the hospital still weren't open yet. So we had to go through the ER and I have to go to the bathroom. Like I'm pregnant. Like, I mean, you, you can hold your like urine for what, a few minutes when you're pregnant and then you just drink all this Gatorade. So I'm like having contractions, trying to get signed in. The lady is just not very, I was like, can I just go to the bathroom? And they're like, nope, you can't go to the bathroom down here. Cause you're going to have a baby on my floor. And I was like, do you want me just to pee on the floor? <laughs> like I need to go to the bathroom. So it took about 10 minutes before we walked into the ER to get up to labor and delivery and, um, you know, get all checked in. And by then it's about 6, 10, 6, 6, 15. And they checked me and I was only four centimeters and I was so defeated, not because I was only four, be- because we came to the hospital and I was only four. It was like, well, apparently I'm not as close as I thought I would be. Um, and I had already been in labor for over 12 hours at that point. So it was, it was disappointing, but they're like, well, we might keep you. And then that was the other thing. And I'm like, my contractions are like three minutes apart at this point. Like, how is this might, you know, like I just, there was just seemed like there was this really big disconnect. And so my husband and I were kind of just left in our room to labor. Um, we didn't have a doula. Um, our, the nurse that we ended up getting was awesome. She actually only does natural births in the hospital. That's like her thing. And so we were very fortunate to have um, such a strong presence to, to help us. And so she was able to get us like a birthing ball and a peanut ball. And just she really helped um, try to optimize the different positions. And so we did that for a while around 9 a.m. My mother-in-law showed up and not too long after that, my mother showed up as well. And that it was nice, but then it was just like more people in the room and, you know, it just kind of disrupts your concentration um, for the actual um, like thinking and breathing through contractions. But at like 930, they checked me and I was nine centimeters. So I'm like, all right, okay, you know, we're, we're going strong. Like, baby will be here soon. I made, made the mistake of looking at the clock. Don't ever look at the clock when you're in labor. Um, and so I continued laboring around 11. I think it was, I wanted to push. And so the nurse was like, all right, well, I need, I need to check you. So she checked and I was like nine plus. And she's like, you, you can't push yet. And I was like, okay. So that's really hard to not push when your body wants to, but at the same time, I knew I, w- I hadn't slept at all. I was like, I need to make sure that I have enough energy. So I'm trying my best to listen to my nurse. And, you know, I, I really trusted her that she knew what she was doing. And I labored for another two hours like that. And uh, I think she checked me every 15, 30 minutes. Cause I still wanted to push. I had all the pressure to, and, Finally, she looked me in the eyes. She said, Linda, I think it's time we break your water. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, we're not doing this. And I, I had put her off probably for about 30 minutes. And she's like, I'm not telling you this lightly, but maybe that will just give you enough 
to like get that cervical lip to disappear so you can start pushing. And so finally I was like, fine. So actually around one o'clock, I noticed um, like my hands and face were going numb. And so I asked for oxygen and they're like, your O2 stats are fine. Like you don't need oxygen, but I think I just needed something to focus on. So I put an oxygen mask on um, and I still was like, I really wanted to push. And then my nurse is like, you're in transition. You're so close. Like just, you know, just, just a little bit longer, you know, one contraction at a time. So I was trying really hard to focus on that. And then she's like, okay, let me check you again. And maybe, maybe you can push now. And so she checked me and then you just see her face, like all of a sudden was like ash white. And I was like, what? What, what, what happened, you know? And then the next contraction hit me. So I was like focused on that. And then all of a sudden there was like 20 people in my room. Um, but the nurse was like, I'm not sure if I feel babies furrowing and the eyebrow or a butt crack. And I was like, what? So my OB ran to go get the ultrasound um, and they checked and baby was not vertex. Like I had been told multiple times, um, baby was in fact, faint frank breach. And because she, baby, she was so far engaged all of a sudden they were afraid, afraid that she was going to get stuck. And they're like, Oh, that makes sense why you've been at nine centimeters for the last four or five hours. Um, and so I had to be willed for an emergency C-section. I'm not sure if I know my OB doesn't deliver breech babies, but I'm not sure if it was like hospital policies. A lot of hospitals won't allow it anymore. But I mean, I had, I didn't have an IV lock. I had no consent. So like the nurse like jumped up on my bed and she's like putting an IV lock as we're going to the OR. I had a, a lot of choice words for my OB at that moment. Um, and so, but he's like promised me and he's like, you can be back. You, you did great. You'll be fine. You know, he's like, I'll take my time and stitch you really well. And, um, but I was just angry. I was angry that I had asked so many times for weeks, just like the movement of my baby didn't make sense to be vertex. So we get to the OR, um, and my husband, when he got wheeled in, he wasn't in there because he had to go get scrubbed in. And so, you know, we're talking to the anesthesiologist is asking me all these questions. Well, not too many times you have a laboring mom who um, is doing it completely natural ends up with a C-section. That's, that's much more rare. So they are like, why can't you concentrate? I was like, I can still feel everything. Like I'm still having contractions. And so well, I think once they realized that, you know, my, my OB was like, Linda, you have three more contractions. And, and then I was counting out loud, let him know that I still felt that fourth one. <laughs> um, and then by then my husband was able to, to come in and my mom. And so she was able to take pictures, which was, um, I, I think you remember like as, as a blessing to have those pictures, cause it's kind of just a blur, but yeah, so I had the C-section, everything was normal, standard, um, nothing of great significance. They, it just, it had to be fast because I, my body was pushing and they actually had to check before they started the incision to see if I delivered the baby because all of a sudden the baby dropped, <laughs> but she was not, um, she was born via C-section. 
about 19 hours of total labor. So when they pulled her out, the OB made a joke about her siblings calling her a butthead because she was Frank Breach. And I was like, it's probably not the most appropriate thing to say <laughs> right after I have a baby. So, um, and then he forgot to show her to me. She was sent away to the nurses. There, there, was, no, there was no concern. And I, I get some moms don't get to see their baby right away because there's significant concerns for, for the baby. That wasn't the case for me. They just forgot. So the, the baby was taken and she was kind of moved to the other side of the OR where they bathed her, weighed her, hatted her, wrapped her up in a burrito. And everybody, including my husband and my mom, everyone's talking about how cute she is and how little she is. And I'm having a conversation with my OB about the shape of my uterus. Like, I'm just like, this is so backwards. Like I, I saw a picture of my baby before I saw my baby. And I was like, that's just not right. And so I was still pretty livid that I had to have the C-section. So my negative emotions hadn't left yet. Um, obviously, I was like really excited that I had my baby, but I didn't even see her. So that there was still kind of that like disconnect, at least from my perspective. So while there's all this gooing and cooing over by the nurses, my husband or my OB and I um, are talking about, yeah, the shape of my uterus, whether I have endometriosis. I was like, hey, since you're in there, you can check, right? And the answer is no. Um, but then, and then like one of the most vivid memories of the OR is them counting because they use all the gauze. They have to count every single thing to make sure nothing gets left behind. Um, and so I just, I remember just listening to the nurses count and they had to recount like four times because they, they did lose one, not in me, it was on the floor, but um, it was just one of those things that I was just like, oh, this is, this, this is what I remember from our birth. Um, and so right before we leave the OR, they hand her to me, you know, and I was just like, I, I, I got her and I'm like trying to pull the blankets off her or I ripped her hat off. I think that ended up on the floor and they're kind of like, what are you doing? It's like, I need the, my baby on me, you know? And so it just, I don't know if that hospital's gotten any better about normal, you know, C-section protocol and skin to skin, but yeah, it was 30 minutes from when she was born to when I even saw her and there was zero concern at all for her, um, her well-being. Like, so we get back to the room um, and I wanted to immediately try to nurse. And then, so they had lactation consultant come in and she was like, oh, sweetheart, you're a first time mom. You just had a C-section. Your baby's going to need formula. Like she's a lactation consultant. And that's what wow. she told me. Like how I, I blew my mind. And um, so I tried to get my baby to latch and it didn't work. And um, my, again, I still had my really awesome nurse. So she like is holding the baby and trying to like calm me down, but I'm crying because I had the C-section and, and finally she's like, how about we just pump to see just, I think it was just not that I needed to pump or anything, but just something to do and something for me to mentally focus on. And so, and then, cause they had to take the baby back to the nursery. Like, I don't even understand like why she left. Like, I, I, I don't know. So anyways, I pump and um, the nurse came and helped me get set up. And then the lactation consultant came back in and she's like, oh honey, you're not going to get anything. And I'm like, 
That is so dismissive. Wow. I, and well, Yeah, it serves no purpose. And a lot of women, when they pump the first time, especially within an hour of delivering, you're not going to get nothing more than a couple drops. Like that that's true, but she could have presented it in a much more beneficial way. A supportive way. Right. <clears throat> so I ended up pumping and they give you those like, I don't know, half ounce collector cups or something for the claustrum. Like, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, I, I think they're full because um, my nurse had put a a warm blanket, like all the way across my chest. I think one to not look and two to just like, again, her whole reason for me pumping was just to like focus and decompress. Um, and so, but sure enough, I had filled up those little cups and I was pumping claustrum just like in my lap. And, um, the lactation consultant just, she like didn't believe her. So my nurse went and like paraded like my little, like, you know, half ounce clonstrum, like around to the nurse's station, like, look what my patient did. And so that made me feel a little bit better. I was like, okay. Yeah, hopefully she, that stopped in her tracks a little bit and she doesn't right. do that to another like, new mom. Like, why, why would you do that? So I just, I mean, and nursing was very rocky for us. I just really struggled with latching and just the pain of a C-section trying to position your baby correctly. But uh, we got there eventually um it, it ended up being okay um but yes it just wasn't the most supportive atmosphere um I left the hospital actually like 40 hours later because I was like I'm done with this like I'm done with people coming in I had not my OB but the assistant or his partner came in and she was a female and I think that just gave her the right to like do whatever she wanted without asking like she like came in and like ripped down my sheets and ripped like pulled back my gown and like inspecting my C-section scar. Like she didn't ask. She didn't say, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. Like I had no idea what was going on. And then just, she just like ripped off the bandage, like no warning. No. And I was just like, wow, like I'm a human, like a little bit of dignity and respect would go a long ways here. Um, and so not too long after that, um, I would say probably about two weeks, I really started struggling with postpartum anxiety. I didn't have that oppressive side. Uh, I cried a lot, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't depressive. It was double checking, triple checking locks, just being paranoid, having intrusive thought. I think a lot of it was related to my birth. I just wasn't, there was just no healing in that. And so I... Uh, got a couple of progesterone injections, um, according to the NAPRO protocol for postpartum depression and anxiety. And it, it did tremendously help, but I had a nurse that told me I could only get them every like two months. Well, it was supposed to be every two days. And so when I thought I had to wait months before I get another one, um, I was obviously already back into the, um, anxiety cycle. So it was, it, it was a rough go. I was finishing up my dissertation at the time. Um, my daughter did come with me, which I think was a blessing to always have her near me. Um, but I remember it probably wasn't until like 10 months postpartum after she was born. Um, I got a few, um, several progesterone shots in a row after I figured out it was two days and not two months. Um, and it was the first time that I recognized like my daughter as my daughter. 
Um, before it was just like, oh, this baby that I'm feeding or, oh, this baby that I'm taking care of. And she had her physical needs met, but she didn't have like that emotional connection from me. Um, and so, uh, so that was like a big jump for me and, and, in parenthood and motherhood of like how to emotionally connect with your child. I'd never thought that that would be a problem, but you know, I had all these friends that are like, Oh, isn't it love at first sight? And I'm like, no, no, it's not <laughs> like, it's like these babies are a lot of work and they don't, you know, there's not a lot of back in terms of emotion or affirmation. So um, that was something I really struggled with that um, I wasn't, um, didn't expect, I guess, going into motherhood. Um, what kind of support did you have for you during that time? Or is there anything that you wish you would have had that you didn't? Um, I think the big thing, I, I actually think I was like, had a cry out for help for a long time. And people were dismissive of it. And not because they didn't care. It's just, you know, I remember being like, mom, I'm crying a lot. And she's like, oh, honey, it's hard. Like, it, it's, it's hard. Like, that's, you've got the baby blues, like, you'll be okay. And my mother-in-law said something similar. My husband, God love him. He's not in the details of life. And so he's like, oh, really, you're struggling? And I'm like, but a lot of it is he would fall asleep. And then I would go and double and check the locks. And I would, I did like, pacing at night and a lot of a lot of it was when he was asleep and so um you know you have that sleep deprivation mixed with anxiety it's just it's kind of a recipe for disaster and I think kind of what you said too like we just live in a culture where it's expected like those first couple weeks or months it's just going to be hard like that's just that's just what it is being a new mom or even if you're not a brand new first-time mom having other kids at home you're just kind of expected to pick up the slack and just keep on keeping on when yes that is part of motherhood you're sleep deprived and you're hormonal and you're bleeding and you're expected to take care of this brand new little baby but with all those other things on top of it it it's a lot more than just trying to adjust to taking care of a new baby exactly yeah it was it was well past the like this is an acceptable level of heart it was but it, and maybe i just i personally didn't do enough work on conveying how hard it was for me. Um, but I'm also one of those people that are generally, well, this is, this is life. So we got to suck it up and keep going, you know? And so I was still working on my dissertation. I was still, you know, like I didn't stop life and looking back, I, I wish I would have, I would have said, no, I need to take a semester off from school or no, I need to start counseling or whatever it was. Um, but I also think I made a lot of a little excuses too. I'm like, oh, well, when the baby weight's gone, I'll feel better. If I get more vitamin D, or if I just eat healthier, or if I get a good night's sleep, which was not going to happen, that I'd be okay, you know, and so some of those things where other people were telling me, oh, just, you know, like, eat a salad for lunch, or go for a run, which is great, because those things do help you, you know, in small increments. But when there is a bigger underlying issue that needs to be addressed and diet and regular exercise is not going to correct that at least in the short term for sure. So I get to the summer. Um, I decided to take that summer off from work because I had finally realized I'm like, I need, I I need some breathing space. So I I took it off um, and it was good to have that break from work and from school. Um, And then not, too long after that, we decided to go ahead and put my daughter in, 
and daycare. So we did that. Um, as most moms will tell you, it was completely nerve wracking. And so I went back to school to try to finish things up. And I started teaching again as well um, as teaching, I think, nursing chemistry at the time. And it was good because it gave me a purpose. Like I felt like the anxiety was better at that point and school was getting closer to being done. So it was like the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and then not too long after maybe like Christmas, we were like, okay, well, our baby's like 18 months old at this point. Like we should start thinking about having another one. Cause, <laughs> and I, and I was feeling really good. So we started talking it, but I hadn't cycled yet. And so I went in um, just to kind of ask, not my OB, but just my family practice doctor, like, is there anything I, I can do to help facilitate this? And then he gave me a PCOS um, diagnosis because I wasn't cycling. Um, but I was still nursing like 10 times a day and my baby was in the one percentile. And every time I tried to take out a nursing session, she lost weight. Um, so in hindsight was probably not the best time to get pregnant. So not too long after that, he was like, okay, well, you need to do Clomid. You need to do this. You need to do this. And we kind of put it off for about three months and then we're like, oh no, like, okay, let's, let's try Clomid. Why not? So the first month we tried Clomid and then I also did HCG injections. Um, we got pregnant with twins. Um, so that was a little shocking. And um, we, so during this time, this was the summer, I was supposed to defend my PhD in May. Um, and for uh, some crazy reasons, like our state had went on strike. So the faculty couldn't be on campus. So I didn't get to defend my PhD in May. It got pushed back to July. So, <laughs> We got pregnant at the beginning of June, kind of thinking, oh, I'd be done. This would be... So um, I find out that I'm pregnant with these twins. And I decided to go ahead and go back to my regular, the, the OB that I had before. Um, he was very supportive on VBAC. And I was like, okay, this just makes sense. Um, so I go in for my ultrasound and they noticed that one baby had a heartbeat and one baby, they were like, you're right on the cusp. Like, you know, once you come back in a few days and we'll make sure that that baby has a heartbeat too. So we came back um, to do another earlier ultrasound and um, the second baby didn't have a heartbeat. Um, and this is, this is Monday. I'm defending my PhD that Friday. So it was like kind of a loaded week because I just f find out that um, it's the, the medical terminology is a va vanishing twin. So we got pregnant with two, but we get placed with this nurse and she was probably the most uncompassionate person that I've ever had. Like just trying to diagnose or digest, excuse me, a losing one baby, but still having one baby. And, you know, like there is a sense of relief, like, okay, I don't, I'm not having twins. Cause there's that freak out when you find out you're having twins, but then you're sad because you lost one of your babies. And she's just like, Oh, it's fine, honey. And then she was like mad about a lot of different things. And my husband and I were just like looking at each other. We're like, this is just, what is wrong? And we leave the appointment and he's like, I want to go back in there and report that nurse. Like it was a hundred percent unacceptable how we were treated. And I'm just like, 
I was just emotionally spent. I'm like, you know what? We all have bad days. Like she really must be having a bad day if that's the way she's going to treat somebody, you know? And so I'm just like, I'm going to let it go. So I defend my PhD on Friday. Um, I actually started throwing up that morning. Um, and so my boss is like, oh, are you really nervous? And I'm like, oh, well, that's, that, that, that's one reason why people throw up. So we got through that, which was great because then I was like, okay, I'm going to take the semester or I, I wasn't going to teach that fall um, in case I had HG again, because there was no way that I was going to be able to teach or I didn't want to teach um, while doing that. I get a letter in the mail saying that I am no longer a patient at that practice because this nurse reported my husband and I as abusive, <laughs> which like the whole situation was like so crazy. And at that point we had already been looking elsewhere. Um, we started looking at like a freestanding birth clinic and I was starting to like, Hey, maybe the situation isn't the best. Like the, this nurse wasn't supportive. Like, so at that point I had requested my medical records, um, from that practice and I'm reading through them and I noticed nowhere, not one time did it mention that I thought my baby was breached. So even though I had brought it up with my OB at least six times, there is not one mention of a concern ever. And I was really frustrated by that because uh, I was like, that was my biggest concern. And I brought it up over and over and over again. Um, so I'm like, are you really getting good prenatal care if you report stuff to the nurse and talk about it with a doctor, but nothing's getting reported? Like there's just, there's just too many people like that's providing care and it's not, you know, consistent care. Um, and so we quickly had to find um, another practice and I started, I reached out to ICANN, um, which we have a very uh, active local chapter here in Kansas City. Um, to find out, okay, who's the best VBAC doctor? So I started there and I started interviewing VBAC doctors and VBAC midwives. Like I didn't even know midwives existed in our country. Like I'll be honest, I had no idea. And so, but the ones that I've interviewed at the hospital just was like, I didn't get warm and fuzzies. Like they're just, they're kind of just an extension of the OB, you know, and it was, um, they really weren't providing better care. It was just like, oh, if you're low risk, you could have a midwife. And almost every practice, there was no, like, if you went into labor, there was no guarantee you're going to have your OB. And I just, that, that, I don't know, like, that just didn't sit well with me. And the freestanding birth clinic, they had eight midwives. And, but again, there, it was like, no strangers at your birth. So you're going to have all these different midwives and whoever's on call is going to deliver your baby. And I'm like, that may work for some moms. That does not work for me. <laughs> Again, because I felt like there was such a disconnect just with the nurse and the doctor. I'm like, I can't imagine like eight different midwives. And so at that point, I started uh, looking into um, the home birth world, which is something I never thought I would do. Um, I mean, I have a PhD in chemistry. I believe in science, like people birth your babies in hospitals because it's the safest place. Like, I, you know, like it just was not something that was on my radar at all. But the more people I interviewed, the more I was like, okay, like, I, I think the home birth is the way to go. And it took a while for my husband to get on board. Um, he was actually okay with a freestanding birth clinic, but not a home birth. And I just had to sit him down. And I'm like, I, there's no more safety precautions at a freestanding birth clinic than there is at a home birth because your midwife 
brings the oxygen and the suction. And, and actually in a lot of place or a lot of times it's safer because you have more freedom of like what hospital you're going to, you're not bound by that particular midwife or the practice of, of the birth center itself. So we met with um, our Cheryl midwife or uh, our midwife, Cheryl. And um, I just like immediately kind of felt at peace. And she's like, okay, well, if you're a VBAC mama, like I want you to read and understand risk and not, not in a scary or negative way, but just to be, be well-informed. And I, and I really liked that. And it was amazing going in for a prenatal appointment. I was like, instead of like the five minutes you get with your OB, like her appointments were 30 minutes to an hour long and they were about nutrition and exercising. And she taught me like stretches to do for around ligament pain. And like, it was just so much more holistic than like, here's your height and weight. And like, let's listen to the baby. You know, like there was just, that was part of it too, but it just was, that was not the end of the care that you got. And so when we went for our 20 week ultrasound, we noticed, you know, they did the anatomy scan and then we kind of got stuck on the placenta. And one of the, the things that you worry about, especially with a C-section mama is having placental accreta or having um, some kind of issues with where the placenta attaches close to the scar. Um, And so I kind of like, during the ultrasound, I thought that that's what they were looking at. Um, but it turns out I had this massive blood pool in my placenta. And it was probably from uh, the twin um, that was getting reabsorbed back into my body into the placenta because I didn't, I didn't have like a m- typical miscarriage where it, it was my body was reabsorbing that baby. But they didn't know for sure if that's what it was. So at 35 weeks, I had to go to a high risk fetal medicine doctor just to rule out the chance for accreta, which that's when the placenta grows through the uterus and it can grow in different um, degrees, but it is, it's a very risky situation. And so they were able to rule that out. Um, So I was able to um, continue with the home birth path. And I think I mentioned that my daughter was born at 39 weeks. I thought it was going to be 41, but she was 39. So we're getting to 39 weeks. And I started having regular timing contractions Sunday. And I was like, all right, like, we're going to have another 39 weeker. Like, it's fine. We're ready. (laughs) And so I called my midwife at 1130 at night on Saturday evening. And she's like, okay, well, your contractions are about five minutes apart. Like, take a bath, like, get some sleep and, you know, call me if anything changes. But she's like, you're in very early labor still, like just, just go ahead and just try to relax as much as you can. So we did. I did not get any sleep that night. I lay down, but again, with contractions, I couldn't fall asleep. So um, I was up all night and about 530, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to call my midwife and tell her like, I think this is the real deal. Contractions started spacing out a little bit. And they spaced out to from like three minutes apart or four minutes apart. They never got below four minutes apart to like 10 minutes apart. And then they were 15 minutes apart and then they were done. And I was like, Oh, well, I guess I'm not having a baby today. (laughs) Um, So 
that was really frustrating. Um, but my husband was like, well, even though that's frustrating, think about it. If we would have went to the hospital, they would have probably been like, well, you're having a baby today. So we're going to put you on Pitocin or um, they're going to do some kind of intervention. Because generally, if your contractions are about four minutes apart, you're probably not leaving the hospital, um, at least in most hospitals. So I tried to like find peace with that, um, except for this happened about four more times the next week. Every night I went to bed, I had contractions and every night they would fizzle out anywhere from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. I had hit my due date and I I didn't even know what, what, what is it called? The pro domal labor. labor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing until I had it. And I was like, this is awful. <laughs> and so labor is just so much of a mental game as it is a physical game. Um, and I just, I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. And I really was like, maybe we should just go to the hospital and, and get induced at this point. Like, I just, I, I just, you hit that exhaustion. Like, I think I had slept like maybe 10 hours in the last week. And I am not exaggerating. Like it was awful. I just was barely functioning. I had a little toddler running around. She was almost three at the time. And I just was like, I can't, I can't do this. Um, And so thankfully the next couple nights were quiet. And then again, I went to bed at like 10 o'clock. I woke up at 10 30, whopping 30 minutes of sleep. And I was like, all right, we're going to have another night of contractions. Hopefully we have a baby at the end of this one. Cause I don't know if I can handle them spacing back out. Like, I just was like, I, I just, I just don't think I can handle it this time. And so I, I got up, I was on the birth ball. I was taking a shower, I seemed backwards on the toilet, like just really, you know, just trying to breathe through every contraction about 1245 I wake up my husband I was like all right I've got really bad back labor again you're gonna have to give me that counter pressure so he did and we just we kind of talked and breathed through the contractions are about 30 minutes and we called my midwife at I don't know 115 130 in the morning and so she was listening to my contractions on the phone she's like all right I'm gonna get my stuff packed up and I'll be heading your way shortly So I'm like, okay, great. Like maybe tonight we're going to have a baby. And my husband decided to call our in-laws, which we had not talked about this. And so they showed up at our house. They live about an hour away. So they didn't show up right away. And by then my midwife was already there and kind of like setting stuff up. And um, my in-laws showed up and I was not quite ready for that um, because they did know we were having a home birth um, and my father-in-law is an MD and was not very supportive of it. And we um, kind of like you, we just, we kept it really on the download just cause I, um, I was comfortable with the decision we were making, but I didn't need to hear everyone's horror story. Um, and I didn't know a lot of women who had home births. So that was another thing Like there wasn't someone that I could like talk to about it. And so they came and my husband immediately was like, okay, I guess you're going upstairs. Cause I was like, I don't want anyone else around. Like I no, I'm, I'm laboring. And so about three 30, um, I had hit a wall and I was just like, are we really doing the right thing? Having a home birth. And my midwife's like, you're, you're getting close. And I'm like, I've got 12 hours of labor at least ahead of me before, you know, I'd have a baby. So she's, she's like, no, just, 
just take it one contraction at a time. Um, and she checked me. That was the only time I got checked that. Um, and I was six. And I was like, okay, like this isn't terrible. And so I kept laboring. Um, and then I asked for the birth pool to get full or filled up. And she's like, well, let's wait a little bit longer. Um, and I'm like, okay, fine. Um, so we waited a little bit. And then at four o'clock, she was like, okay, you can go ahead and get in the birth pool now. And little did I know my midwife always has a second midwife come um, when you're in transition delivery or she tries to. And so all of a sudden I saw the second midwife there and I was like, whoa, my midwife thinks I'm much further along than I think I am. So I was like, that's, that's a good thing. And for, for those moms out there, I can tell you, at least for me personally, once I get into the birth pool and kind of just like submerge my body, like the pressure and the contractions are just substantially lower. And it just, it just, it was just like the new confidence I needed to like, all right, we, we can have this baby. Like we can, you know, I, I, I can do this. And so by 4.30, I was ready to start pushing. Um, and I just told my midwife and I was like, okay, I think I need to push. And she's like, great, do it. And I was like, what? You don't need to check me. You don't need it. She's like, no, your body knows what's doing. You're just, just listen to your body. It was just very different than like hitting that transition when I'm in a birth pool at home. I just, there was the two midwives, there was my husband. That was it. There was no bazillion doctors in the room. There was no bright lights. There was no, it was just, it was just the three of us. And so I get in, I start pushing and I feel like, I feel rejuvenated, like, um, like, okay, we can do this. And then all of a sudden my hands and my face turned numb. Um, and that's the same thing that had happened with my first. And I was like petrified that all of a sudden, oh no, something's wrong. And, um, then I started throwing up <laughs> and my midwife's like, that's just probably how your body handles transition. Like, don't fight it. Like just breathe through it. And, um, the, the second midwife uh, kind of jumps in. She's like, I'll, I'll, I'll help you breathe. So just, just focus with the contractions and just push your baby out. And that's, that's what we did. The, the first contraction, my water broke. Um, and it was probably the most vivid memory outside of my son being born was just that pressure, my water breaking. <laughs> and then the next contraction, um, I was like, oh no, I tore. And they're like, they're checking with their mirrors. And I mean, it's like pitch black in my room. So I, I don't know how they saw anything. <laughs> uh, I know they had lights and stuff, but from my perspective, it was, I mean, it was 4.30 in the morning. So they checked and they're like, no, you didn't tear. And within a few more pushes, he was here. Um, and he actually had the hiccups while crowning, um, which is not a fun feeling. <laughs> But I think it was like God's way telling me like, he's okay, he's breathing, you know, like he's getting the oxygen he needs, his body's fine, you know. And so I was able to push him out and um, brought him right to my chest. And I just, I mean, just got to sit there and hold him and love on him. And, you know, I didn't have any, anyone trying to like take measurements. Like my midwife, you know, was doing APGAR scores. I mean, very standard, um, but it was like, it was just done in a way that like respected me and respected my baby. Just, it was just, it was just so peaceful. It was just such amazing experience to have that. So we were in the pool for probably about 15 minutes. And then I delivered my placenta. There was a little, some concern with the amount I was bleeding. So I had to 
get out of the tub probably faster than what most home births are, sometimes 15, 30 minutes. Um, so I got out, you know, I got to the bed and it was just like, I got to hold him and my husband got to like sit next to me. Like there's, you know, there's no one telling you, no, you can't do something or, you know, it was just like, it's just like what we like needed and wanted. And, um, just, it was so healing. But the one thing is, and I forgot to mention my first daughter, she was very tiny. She was six pounds. My second baby was nine and a half pounds. (laughs) So uh, I was like, God, you got those two backwards. So I actually tore very significantly um, with, with my son and his birth was as peaceful as could be. Um, but the recovery actually was very, very hard. The recovery of his birth was probably harder than my C-section in terms of like the physical aspect. But again, having that emotional aspect of like his peaceful birth, like it's like I had the ability to deal with the physical pain of it. But when it came time for our next baby, like it, I really was like, I don't know if I want another vaginal birth. Um, I'll be honest, it was, I did not expect to be harder. But uh, so we definitely, my husband and I like went back and forth, you know, what we wanted to do. Um, and, and part of it was I, I had to meet with a couple plastic surgeons and they recommended against having a vaginal birth. And it, so it wasn't just like, like, don't do it type thing. Um, so with all of that, my, my husband and I were like, okay, well, let's talk to our midwife again. Let's, you know, they, did your midwives ever give any insight into like maybe why you had torn so bad or was there anything that happened that could have resulted? So he descended very quickly. Um, and so I actually, um, and this is probably important. So I felt my water break. And I do think that next one, I think I did tear, but it was a vaginal tear. And those are pretty rare in birth. Um, Mostly it's your perineum that tears. Sometimes you have some, some like sideways tearing, but um, again, that's, that's as not as common. Um, And so I had, um, I had a seven inch vaginal tear. And then it was probably because he descended so fast, he like kind of landed on my bone and it just split the skin, um, and muscle actually. And then, um, I had a third degree perineal tear and I had labial tears. I, yeah, I have no idea why it was so bad. Now I was kind of in a semi reclined position for delivering him, which probably exacerbated the tears. And while all this, you know, I had to meet with a plastic surgeon and this and that, um, my, my midwife did suture me up. Um, but she, she missed my vaginal tear. Um, and so I'll be, I was pretty upset that that was missed. And then when I was going to the different, um, specialist, he's like, oh, well it's usually missed like 50% of the time when you're in stirrups. And I was like, oh, okay. So it's not necessarily, it wasn't my midwife's fault necessarily, if that makes sense. And since I had such extensive tearing externally as well, it made sense. They're like, oh, well your pain is because of this. Um, even though that there was still a lot more, um, that, that happened. And it's, you know, it's also hard to, because you just had a baby. So that site where the placenta is bleeding. So, um, and so probably a lot of the blood loss was not from my placental site. It was probably from the vaginal tear itself. It was the muscle bleeding, but again, that's masked and it's just, it's just a harder situation. And so I did a lot of pelvic PT after that. I, um, 
never thought I would <laughs> have another child for, I mean, for a while. Then um, in that time, my husband actually got diagnosed with epilepsy. He had had a couple of grand mal seizures and so he couldn't drive anymore. And I went for a well woman and, you know, um, there was uh, so, some precancerous cell that my, the backing OB who backs my midwife was kind of worried about. And she's like, well, if you want another baby, like you should, you should try now. And I was like, oh, my baby's only like one, I don't, you know, one and a half. And we, we just didn't know if we were ready for another baby, but we didn't really want just two kids. So we're like, all right, I guess if it's now or never, like, we'll do it, <laughs> you know, so, um, and we, we got pregnant very easily that time. So we didn't need Clomid or um, any of those other fertility um, uh, aids, I guess. So we get pregnant. And then actually a couple months later, my husband has brain surgery and we had purposely scheduled his surgery. So I'd be in my second trimester in case I was really sick again, um, that I would have my energy to take care of him while he recovered. And so as you can see, the timing just was not, <laughs> was not ideal in our books, but, um, and then we get a call that, um, the surgery that my husband was going to have was getting suspended in the nation because of like certain MRIs that had to be done during the surgery itself. Um, and so his surgery got moved up two months. So I went from like expecting him to have surgery when I'm like 20 weeks, it was like 10 and we hadn't even told anybody yet that we were expecting. Um, and so now I'm sitting in an OR waiting room with my in-laws for like 12 hours and I'm trying not to throw up because they didn't know I was pregnant and I was like I probably should have just told them <laughs> but I didn't want to tell them without my husband and anyways so I had gotten the green light from my OV to have another uh vaginal birth and she's like if you want to have another home birth have another home birth like she's like the tearing's not going to be as extensive the second time and um, I was still pretty nervous. And so um, my midwife, every single appointment, she was like, okay, let's talk about birth positions. Let's talk about like different things you can do, different herbs and supplements to help elasticity. And so it just, it really helped me um, feel comfortable. And it also, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to going to be honest, like, you're going to have to tell me, like, you need to not be in that position. I don't care if you want to, because I was like, I'm going to, I need to be uh, okay with someone, you know, being a little bit more pushy, because I was like, this is something that's important to me. And in the moment, I don't know, like, what my mental state's going to be. Um, and so she agreed that she would do it. Um, and so I felt, I felt pretty good about that. And um, going into that home birth was good. Again, I had the a huge um, promodal labor for about two weeks again. And it just hits mentally exhausting <laughs> to be in labor almost every single night. And then just to have it fizzle out by morning and you're not sleeping. And now I had two kids to take care of and nine months pregnant. And Had you done anything just for the emotional side? Like, I guess I just hear women sometimes talk about like emotional blocks in labor. Like if they have a fear of tearing or pushing, or, I mean, whatever uh -huh. it might be. Did you feel any of that going into this third labor or did everything you were doing with your midwife kind of alleviate that? 
I, I, I was afraid that it was still going to be that way. Like when it got to the point of pushing that I'd be like, I don't want to do this. Um, and so that, that was a fear, but you know, my husband and I had talked about it a lot. I was like, you're, you're going to have to be a very big emotional cheerleader for me. Um, and when I'm in the moment of birth, I don't really need a lot of external praise or external like affirmation. Um, I just kind of, I internally go in, I know what I need to do. And, um, I, I will say the thing I did read a little bit more was like Ina May, um, just reading other women's birth stories, um, and just trying to visually feel or see my baby come out, you know? And so that's, I, I would say I did a lot more of that in preparation for my daughter's birth. So we get to about 36, 38 weeks. My little girls still breach. And I'm like at my wits end because I've already had one breech baby and I had an aunt who had a breech baby. So I'm like, I, I don't know, like maybe it's my anatomy. Maybe there's some kind of neurological thing that my babies don't know what's head down. Like I have no idea. Right. And so, but I'm just like, this baby's got to get head down. So I am doing all the spinning baby techniques. I, um, had a booked appointment to go get external version, um, which a lot of OBs will not do on a C-section mama. Like that's just kind of, kind of a big no-no for a lot of them. And, um, but my midwife's backing OB does it and she actually does it in an office and not in an OR. Cause she's like, she's like the baby whisperer. She couldn't get babies to turn really easily apparently. And, uh, she's just like, it's not this big aggressive thing. It doesn't have to be that. So we ended up not needing it. Thankfully, my daughter turned the day before my appointment, um, but she didn't turn till 39 weeks. So I was, I had all those emotions. Um, like we had been researching, uh, going to St. Louis. That's so about four hour drive for us to deliver with a like 80 year old OB there who does breach delivery. Cause he was trained to do breach delivery. Like that's just not something that's taught anymore. So I was like, you know, trying to look at all the different options. Uh, but she turned and we had another beautiful home birth. She, hers was a little bit different. I went uh, into labor um, about 3 a.m. So I didn't quite start at 11 like the rest of my other two. So I actually got a full, well, full night's sleep. I got about six hours of sleep. <laughs> That's a full night for a mom. Um, so I got about six hours of sleep and I wake up and I'm having pretty steady contractions at that point. I wake up my husband about 4.30 and again, I had back labor. So I was like, all right, I need you to like push on my back. And so he much obliged. Um, and then I called my midwife at 6.30 in the morning. And I was like, so I'm going to have a baby today. I don't need you right now, but I need you to find a ride for your daughter to school. Because if my midwife would have taken her daughter to school, it would have been probably about an hour and a half process, just like driving her to school 30 minutes away, driving back home. And because my midwife lived about 30 minutes away. And so she was just like, you're such a mom. Like, I'm worried about my midwife's kids getting to school on time. So. Uh, she ended up coming uh, much sooner than she normally would have because she could just hear in my voice that she thought I was, I was pretty close to having a baby. Um, and so she gets in my house around 7 a.m. And 
uh, my daughter, uh, we had the two kiddos at the time. My daughter was five um, and she was going to be in the room when the baby was born. That was something that we had discussed and she really wanted to be. And we watched a lot of birth videos with her. So she, she was prepared for it. And so about 8.30, we started filling up the birth tub and the second midwife shows up. And like, that was my, like, that was my trigger. I was like, all right, this baby's getting close. Like, and I didn't quite hit a, like a brick wall this time. So I'm feeling good. I get in the birth tub and I went 45 minutes without a contraction. And so I, you know, the midwife's like, you got to get out, like, maybe the water just slowed you down too much, which, which actually can happen. And, and so I was just like, Oh my gosh, my mom's here. I've got two midwives and a birth assistant uh, in training was there. And I'm like, ah, you know, like I just, I felt like I just kind of let them all down, <laughs> you know? And she's like, it's fine. And so my midwife suggests, she's like, why don't you just go back in your bedroom with your husband and close the door and just pretend nobody else is here. And if we all have to leave, cause you stop labor, it's not a big deal. And I, I'm 41 weeks at this point. So like I needed to have the baby sooner rather than later. But, and so I would say once I got out of the birth pool, that was about 9.30 or so, contractions started picking up, but they weren't consistent. So some contractions were like coming every five minutes apart. Sometimes they were three minutes apart. Sometimes they were 10 minutes apart. And then the lengths were just, just as crazy and the intensities. I mean, it was just like, I like had to stop. I had to put my contraction timer away because I was so like emotionally like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm not in active labor. Like, like they're spacing back out. And she's like, just, just have your contractions. Like, just think about the contraction. Um, but it was very mentally draining because I never knew when a contraction was going to come and I never knew how hard it was going to be. So I might have a 30 second putz contraction followed by a two minute transition contraction. And it just, it was awful. And I was like, when am I going to know when to get back in the pool? And she's like, well, you might not be getting it back into the pool until you're pushing, like, cause she just didn't want it in the space back out. And then finally a little bit after 11, I got back into the pool and it was not very warm at that point, which I was kind of sad. Uh, and they had added boiling water, but it was just, um, they just didn't know when I was going to get back in. So they didn't want to keep it really hot. So I got in and it still had that immediate, like, calming sensation for me. So I get in and about 15 minutes later, I started pushing and she was born, um, about 15 minutes of, of pushing. So it just, it was so much easier. Like once I got back into, <laughs> into there, she was another nine pound baby and we had zero tearing that time. So I went for, I was like night and day difference between my, my first and second VBAC. And I remember, um, so my daughter got to be there. So she got to help like pick the baby up and bring her to my chest, um, which was such a special moment, especially because my daughter, my older daughter's birth had been kind of so rocky. Um, and so it, continue just to help with like the healing process of my first C-section. Again, it was, it was really peaceful. It was a little bit more chaotic because I, my mother-in-law was there and my mother, and there's just a lot more people. <laughs>
Do you remember what position you were in when? Oh, yes. So I was almost on hands and knees kind of leaning over the back of the uh, or on the side of the birth pool. Um, And so that worked amazing. Um, It was a little bit more of a gymnastics to get the baby to my chest with the cord. But, um, you know, the midwives are are super trained and that's so they're fine but I was just like oh this is really weird I just had a baby and I'm like moving in these weird positions but um and bleeding wasn't as bad that time so we got to have more quiet bonding time and my my midwife did after the baby was born even before the placenta she was like okay everybody out of the room you know so my midwife was very good at like like intuitively knowing the needs that I needed at that moment like I didn't need like you saw the baby. Great. Like go away now. Like let, let me have the, that, that time with her. And, um, you know, that the time with my husband to, to nurse our baby and just, you know, just kind of like relish in the accomplishment of just, just having a baby. And so it just, it was nice having just, um, you know, that, that quiet interaction, even though there was kind of a lot more people there, um, for the birth itself, it just brought us back to, um, you know, nurse, nurse my baby and just really be um, in tune to her needs and not what the three-year-old wanted or the one, you know, like um, you, you add those kids and it, it's, it really is a huge blessing to have your older children present if, if they can. Cause I can tell you now, my, my daughter now seven does not fear birth. She thinks it's awesome, you know, and um, I never had that, you know, and so it's not this big, scary thing for her. It's like, oh, just a natural, natural thing of welcoming a baby. So that's, that's really neat. So um, around two weeks, we noticed that um, my little squish had um, some hip popping. So we ended up having to get an ultrasound um, and she had hip dysplasia. Um, my older one had hip dysplasia, but we didn't find it right away. Um, again, that hospital disconnect. So um, she went into a hip brace right away, which was like so sad, but is not not surprising with um, being as breached because she was breached until about 38 weeks or something. So was she, um, you said your first was, was she Frank breach? Yes. So they, they, they were, were both Frank breach. Um, yeah. And actually my oldest, so it's, it's funny. I never really saw this because again, I was on the other side of the OR. Um, but if anybody's seen a breech baby, like their legs are hilarious to look at. So my daughter's legs were straight up in the air because she was Frank breech. If you're a complete breech, uh, your legs are, or your feet are almost by your ears, like you're folded in half. And so, yeah, so my oldest did have hip dysplasia um, and her, actually her bottom was black and blue because she was sitting so low in the birth canal with, with the contractions. Like, you know, the, the head can withstand those contractions a lot better than, um, than the bottom can. So, so my, my, my second daughter, my third child, uh, ended up going into a hip brace, uh, around two months, I think. And then, you know, and just her, her whole birth was just so peaceful that even like, it was frustrating. She had to go into a hip brace, but I feel like emotionally, I was just doing so much better. Like I felt great. And it's not to say that everything was was easy because it wasn't like having a baby is still hard recovering from childbirth is still hard even if you don't tear and everything you know it's just your body went through a lot and you need to rest but I think just having such you know that that bonding things like the hip brace wasn't wasn't as hard to deal with I think if 
my oldest would have got put in a hip brace right away, like it would have been more the it's the end of the world type thing, which it, it wouldn't have been, but just my perception of it at the time. So, um, and in that process, after my daughter was born, she, um, she was born in September. Um, a few months later, my husband had had another uh, grand mal seizure. Um, and so we were hoping that the the brain surgery was going to fix that and it didn't. So we had to become an epilepsy family again. Um, so he couldn't drive, he couldn't watch the kids um, unless there was another adult. And when you have a newborn and you can't even get like a 30 minute break sometimes like that, that was hard. And we decided in January of 2019 um, that we were going to move. And we decided to move into um, a neighborhood that's more of an intentional living. Um, So we knew a couple of the families, but there's 13 families and 31 kids and everyone plays outside and just like work hard to take care of each other. Um, It's kind of like a built-in family. And so we decided to move. We rented for a year um, because my husband had to have a couple of more surgeries and and so it was kind of this, this growing year for us as a family of three and trying to figure out the epilepsy and um, moving and, and all that. And so we did that and um, we just, I don't know, just decided that, you know, life is short and why not be a really big family? <laughs> and um, so in February of last year, um, it was not the she's not a Super Bowl baby. So we're from Kansas City, and they won. So, um, but just have to put that disclaimer out. There. I, I do, and the and it, it it actually comes into play in the story too. So, um, so we're living in this great neighborhood, and you know, all of a sudden, I'm like, all right, like, yeah, yeah, let's have another baby. Like, what? Sure, why not? So, you know, we we got pregnant in February. And, you know, we, we missed the Super Bowl, we missed Valentine's Day, and we snuck it in before, <laughs> before the pandemic shut the world down. And um, I actually found out, uh, our, our kids are so close in age, um, I actually didn't cycle between the two. And but we were like, okay, like, if we get pregnant, great. If we don't, great. You know, like, it, was, it wasn't, you know, one of those, like, actively trying and frustrated if you don't get pregnant right away. So, but we did. Um, I found out on April Fool's Day that I was pregnant. I was talking to my my friend um, who lives in Houston, and and we had been like sheltering in place like over a month at this point. And I was just like, life is just really hard. Like more than like pandemic hard. You know, like nobody was sick or anything. And and I, and she's. I was like, I just I just can't sleep. And she's like, Are you stressed about the pandemic? And I was like, I mean we're being careful, you know, and she was like, the only other time you have really bad insomnia is when you're pregnant. Have you taken a pregnancy test? And I was like, I'm not pregnant. And I'm not pregnant. I would be throwing up if I'm pregnant, you know, and so she was just kind of giving me a hard time. So she's like, go buy a pregnancy test. <laughs> so I did. Um, I took it at four in the morning because I had to take it with first morning urine. So anyways, find out blaring positive like it's the most positive test that I've ever had and I was like oh I'm probably further along than I thought um so I told my husband of course it's April 
first and he doesn't believe me. <laughs> like, he's like, that's a bad joke. And I'm like, I'm not joking. <laughs> and so and I called my midwife. She's like, well, how far along are you? And I was like, oh, anywhere from like three to 16 weeks. Not really sure. <laughs> she just was like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> And because at the time she was really busy because the hospitals weren't allowing dads in. And so a lot of people were abruptly choosing home birth. Um, and so I was like, I mean, it's going to be the fall. So we're, we're fine. Right. And she was like, and I had stuck with the same midwife. So she's like, yes, you're fine. Like, um, so we find out that about eight weeks pregnant, um, which was kind of a rock star to like get like half the first trimester over before you even know you're pregnant. But then like two days later, I started throwing up for the next 16 weeks. So, I mean, it really didn't matter. <laughs> um, but uh, I was joking with my neighbor at one point in the beginning of March. And I was like, it's just, she's like, how's, how's it going? I was like, this week has been hard with the kids. And now I like joke and I was like, oh man, I was pregnant. I just didn't know it. I was so tired and sitting on the couch all day and all that like first uh, trimester low energy and I was like okay well that makes me feel better that I just wasn't being a lazy mom for a couple of weeks like I just I, I really I, I it was just hard and that's okay and so uh, you know with the pandemic it made prenatal care a little bit more challenging um, my midwife still allowed spouses and children but she really encouraged you not to just to reduce the number of exposures um, and which I, I totally respect. And since, um, you know, we had already had two home births at this point, um, my husband and I had decided uh, that we weren't going to take any of the kids and he wasn't going to come. So he didn't come to any prenatal appointments, which was kind of weird. He didn't get to come to uh, the anatomy scan. So we chose not to find out the gender this time because he wasn't there. And um which, you know, it's just, it was unique times, but I, I would say like towards the end of it, when I delivered her um, was actually the worst of the pandemic to date in our area. Um, and so hospitals were closed. There was no visitors. Um, the OB, like you could still have your partner and some hospitals allowed doulas, but that even that was like a day to day by situation. So I was very thankful to have a home birth, but at the same time, for some reason, this pregnancy, um, I was having like a lot of dreams that I'm like, oh, there's a snowstorm and my midwife can't make it. Or like, I think it was just the anxiety from the pandemic itself. Um, kind of like playing, um, playing on my fears a little bit. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what happens if I get transferred in? Like, like, what, what if there's no beds? And because some of the the hospitals were at capacity, they couldn't take people and they were turning away ambulances. Uh, and so I had been vocalizing this to my, my midwife and I'm, you know, and she's just like, she's like, you've had two VBACs at home. She's like, she's like, hospitals will take moms in an emergency. Like, that's not like, the OB wards are not overflowing. And um, we were joking at my 40 week appointment because I, I made it to 40 weeks this time. And uh, she's like, well, I think all the Super Bowl babies have been born. So I think we're good now. Like the, the spike in births <laughs> have happened um, mostly. Um, and so I was like, okay, like the OB wards aren't full. Like, like we'll be fine. And I Again, you know, I had the primal labor. This was Tuesday. 
Um, I had some like outdoor, it was, it was nice in November. So um, a couple of my neighbors, we had got outside and just chatting, you know, our six feet apart mask and, and um, I was like, okay, it's like 930. Like I should be getting to going to bed in case I have a baby. And one of the moms who, uh, so we moved into this neighborhood two of the moms in this neighborhood of 13 families had home births with the same midwife. Like I didn't know them before. So it was just kind of like, Whoa, that's weird. <laughs> like, I mean, there's like 10 home birth midwives here, but, and so she, she was like, I'll walk you home. I just don't think you should be walking home by yourself. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. So she walks me home. I start throwing up on the way home and I start having intense contractions and I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, maybe we'll have a baby tonight. Like I was already past my due date at this point. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. Like we can have a baby tonight. So, and again, like it's pretty normal for me to go to go into labor around 10 o'clock at night and have a baby. So um, I get home. <laughs> my husband's like, you look awful. And I was like, don't tell a pregnant woman she looks awful. <laughs> like I'm probably in labor. And he's like, great. <laughs> so I go and I take a shower, you know, trying to like do my like normal calming things. Like um, you know, picked up my bedroom a little bit. So if there would be, you know, cute baby pictures, I, you know, wouldn't have a pile of dirty laundry over on the side or, you know, like whatever I thought was important at the moment. And so again, I labored all overnight. Um, and I had texted my midwife or I didn't text my midwife because I was like, oh, it's already 1045. Like I'll just call her if I need her. Like, I'm not going to text her because she now lives five minutes away instead of 30 minutes away. So I was like, I'll just I'll just call her when I need her. I get to 5.30 in the morning um, and I'm like, all right, two more contractions. If I have two more contractions, I'm going to get up and shower again. I had one more contraction and then that next contraction didn't come. <laughs> so I was like, again, just, just frustrated that I had been in labor for like almost seven hours, like timeable under five minutes, like hard contractions. And I was just, just so frustrated that once again my babies are like nope that's that's just how labor works for me I think that happened one more time um, before the real deal it wasn't as intense and I kind of just like stop like acknowledging the fact that I might have a baby <laughs> like I was um and so so that that Sunday so I'm 41 weeks at this point which is the longest I had gone and everybody in my neighborhood, so we're, we're such a tight knit neighborhood, you know, they're all like, is this baby coming? This baby? I'm like, no, this baby's not coming for a week. It's fine. And our church actually got shut down because uh, usually I would go to church early on Sunday morning, but the, the pastor got COVID. So, so it was shut down. So it was just kind of this like lazy morning and I had a couple strong contractions around like eight or nine and my husband's like oh maybe we'll have a baby and I was like we're not having a baby today like stop saying that like um and he's like okay we're not having a baby today fine um and so about like nine o'clock I like get out of bed which is rare for me my kids get me up before six so I just I was well rested and I was like oh I'm gonna go for a walk and just just kind of like did some small stuff around the house then about 1130 I'm like Okay, like I, I could tell I was just like getting agitated, but I wasn't even having contraction. So my husband had asked me 
to like make lunch for the kids and I like go to start making lunch and I'm like I can't do this like this smells gross like I was like I'm just gonna go for a walk again like that was like my like go-to like I just need to get out of the house I'm just gonna go for a walk real quickly so I go go on this walk like like maybe a mile walk and it was just like every step was painful like just like I was not having contractions but I was like why is this taking so much energy? And I just, I was kind of beside myself. I was like, this should be like this nice, peaceful walk. I don't have two toddlers like talking to me incessantly, (laughs) you know, like I was like, this is my reprieve. What is going on? So um, I think I had like one contraction during that walk. And I was just like, like I don't know maybe I'll have a baby in the next like two days or something but I was like come on like this is I've never been 41 weeks this is awful like let's let's just get this show on the road so I get home um I try to put my two-year-old to bed for a nap it's about I don't know noon or something and uh I had noticed that I had had a couple contractions I was like okay like I was trying really hard not to time them Um, and then I think by like one o'clock I started timing them and I was like, okay, well, they're like seven minutes apart. And then I had a couple that were five minutes apart and I was like, okay, well, maybe this is, maybe this is the real deal. Probably not. So I just told my husband, I was like, why don't you just set up the birth pool and the plastic liner on the bed or whatever, you know, but I was like, don't get excited because we're probably not having a baby for like at least two days. And he's like, okay. So he sets up the birth pool and I decide to go take a, a, a bath and he's like, we have a problem. And I was like, you're not allowed to say that. <laughs> so he, he's like, this birth pool has a hole in it. It wouldn't stay inflated. And he's like, maybe we can duct tape it. I'm like, this birth pool is going on the second story of our house. Like, we're not like duct taping and putting like tons of water in it. Because if it breaks, like, I don't want ceilings and floor, you know, like, that's just the mom thing. I'm like, that's just thousands of dollars of damage. Like, I was like, okay. So I was like, call my midwife. She lives five minutes away now. And so my husband calls her and she's like, I don't have any more birth pools. Like she has 10 birth pools and she's like, I don't have any. They're all loaned out. Um, she's like, I'm waiting on a lot of moms. Um, she's like, I've got that, that Super Bowl and that, <laughs> that Valentine baby, like rush is coming. And I was like, but I need my birth pool. <laughs> like, I mean, I was just like, so I was kind of beside myself and she's like, I'll see what I can do. And I was like, oh, please, like, let someone have a birth pool. Like, that's that has been my saving grace the last two births. And so, I don't know, but she, she ended up finding one. Again, she lived five minutes away. So this was like at 1.30. She comes and drops it off. And she was going to come in and talk to me, but my husband's like, all right, thanks. <laughs> like, And so she's like, oh, maybe it's not really that urgent. Like, I'm okay, okay, that's fine. Like, my midwife was, she's like, she's like, that was kind of weird, but whatever. <laughs> um, and again, she lives five minutes away. So she went home and then I, I was like, okay, I, I've, he starts filling it up. And I was like, man, I really want to get in that birth pool right now. And he's like, you know, if you get in there, you're not going to have contractions. So he's like, you're not allowed to get in that. And, and my midwife actually made that point. She's like, Linda is not allowed to get into the water until I'm there. And that, that, that's, that's a pretty standard practice, I think, with, for a lot of midwives. And so um, 
I was like, fine, I'll just go take another bath because so this is about two o'clock. Um, I have three kids like running in and out of the bathroom and my room and the toddler never took a nap. Like, it's just like, it's batty in my house. I don't even know where my midwife or where my husband was, but I remember thinking, I'm like, I'm going to have this baby by myself. Like, this is like 2020, right? Like, I'm going to have an unintended, unassisted delivery and my husband's going to be in the other room. Like, this is how ridiculous it's going to be. But then, you know, and then I'm like, ah, still not in labor. Like I was like having contractions like every five minutes. So, so I had only been timing contractions for about an hour and they were not consistent. They're still not consistent at this point. And then like at 2.15, I was like, I need my midwife and my husband now. So I like told my seven-year-old, I was like, go get daddy. I need Cheryl here now. And she's like, okay, mom. Like, and so my husband is talking to the midwife and she can hear me like in the other room, like with a contraction. She's like, I'm on my way. I'm dropping everything. And like I said, there was a couple other neighbor uh, moms in the neighborhood that had home birth. So she had asked me before. So this was not breaking HIPAA or anything like that. But she's like, because I was having all of those dreams that everybody was going to miss my birth. She's like, what if I call this one mom? She has seven kids. And she's like, so she can at least like walk over to your house and be with you. And I'm like, that's fine. Like you, you, you can do that, you know, like, and um, so that was agreed upon. And so she, <laughs> my midwife's like throwing all of her stuff in the car, getting, you know, over here. And she almost called this, this, this neighbor of mine to be like, you should probably just go check on her. Cause she might be having her baby. <laughs> so my midwife gets here at like two. 30 245 I don't even remember and she walks into the bathroom I'm still in the bathtub because I refuse to get out of water and she's like so do you want to have this baby on the bathtub or on the floor and I said I want my birth pool <laughs> like where's my birth pool and she's like oh honey we don't have time for that and I was like yeah I've needed to push for like five minutes like I'm waiting for this birth pool like and she's like okay well do you want bathtub or the floor <laughs> like and I and she's like, I really need you to seriously answer this. And I was like, I guess the bathtub, if it was safe enough, because you, you need enough water um, to make sure the baby doesn't come out and breathe and then go back under. So I was like, I, I was like, if you think there's enough water in this bathtub, and she's like, I, she's like, you'll be okay. And then she goes and checks the water. She's like, it's scalding hot, but there's enough water in the birth pool if you want to move to the birth pool. And I think I jumped out of that bathtub to get in the birth pool. I get in. And it's, it's warm. It's pretty warm. And um, I was like, all right, I'm going to push. And she's like, really? So my water broke first, first push, my water broke the second push, like not even 30 seconds later. And then the head was born. She had to stop me from pushing because uh, just to check the cord and everything. And so yeah, the whole active labor was under 40 minutes and um, pushing was three minutes. Um, but thankfully it was not in unassisted delivery. <laughs> so yeah, I was, I was so thankful. I mean, she, she was really worried on the way over. She's like, I just kept praying that you were not going to have that baby because she's like, you thought that the whole pregnancy and she's like, and little, you know, I was so close to act that actually happening. So the labor or like, again, it was so beautiful. Um, and it was, it was a little chaotic just, just because like, there was, it was just my husband and her. And then my seven-year-old was in the room too, but she actually missed the head coming out and she was like, so sad, but I was like, sorry, we didn't know the baby was coming. <laughs> like, and I mean, she wasn't upset by it, but uh, it was just like, oh man, like I missed it. Um, but because of COVID, like my in-laws couldn't come. My mom 
come. I mean, there is nobody else in the house other than my kiddos and um, my midwife and, and my husband. Like that, that was it. So uh, we didn't have any of that extra help because of COVID. And like, that was hard. Um, and also like my husband had had another seizure, so he couldn't drive at this point. And so it just was like, just kind of compounded everything like like oh this is crazy um and we did one of our neighbors was going to come over and watch the two little ones um i didn't care if they were necessarily in the room like it wasn't like i was trying to keep them out it was just like i just wanted someone else there um if something went wrong we needed to transfer to the hospital or you know they couldn't handle it or you know like uh, all the reasons you should have someone with your other kids while you're in labor anyways so my husband was talking to him and he's like oh i'll be over there in like 30 minutes uh well the baby came in like five so i mean we didn't have our neighbor's help which was it was fine but it was just like so once she was born and all the kids got to give her a kiss and my midwife's again like out 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 like go watch tv i don't care <laughs> like just just leave mom alone so we did that and um it was um i got a nurse right away and it it was a little different just because like it was the like the shock like i honestly was like I'm already holding my baby like I thought I was like days away from this like definitely didn't think I was an hour away from it we you know my husband and I are just trying to like soak up that time like okay like this this did just happen we have this this daughter so um you know just enjoying those sweet moments and then my midwife is like okay I need you to get out because I was bleeding a lot and I was like okay um, so I had to like stand up and like do a dance to try to get like my placenta to detach and it did, but she's like, I, you're still bleeding more than I want you to. So let's, let's go ahead and transfer you to bed just so she can monitor a little bit more closely. So we did and you know, everything seemed fine. Um, and the bleeding stopped and we were just the second midwife got there like 30 minutes after she was born you know so she was able to um you know help do all the like newborn you know weighing and measuring and um help clean up the birth pool and all that fun stuff um and then they made me a meal then i, th I think about an hour and a half after she was born they left which i think that's been about the same for all my births around an hour and a half two hours so um, meanwhile, all my kids, all my older kids are gone at this point. They went over to the neighbor's house. Um, and so it was just like my husband and I were like, we've never been just the two of us like a year. Like, this is like crazy. And so then an, um, one of our neighbors surprised us with dinner. So she brought us dinner over, which was just like super sweet. And just, the, you know, it was just like this like really sweet little thing right after dinner. I was like, oh man, I don't feel so good. My husband's like, oh, what's wrong? And I was like, I kind of feel like I'm going to pass out. And I was still laying in bed. Um, so I didn't get up. And all of a sudden I had like the tunnel vision and like ringing in my ears. And I was like, I'm going to pass out. Like, I wonder why. So I was able to like ward off passing out. Um, and then my midwife's like, okay, well, you always need to try to empty your bladder if you think you're bleeding a lot, just because that can help. Um, facilitate a contraction so about 30 minutes later I'm like okay I, I feel okay like I went over to the edge of the bed and I sat there for a while then I walked to the bathroom and when I did I turned around and looked and there was blood everywhere and I was like 
oh, this is not a good situation. So I um, went to the bathroom and I, um, we had smelling salts, um, you know, just in case you do pass out. So like, I mean, we, we were taking all of our like necessary steps um, that your midwife instructs you to do. And so I went to the bathroom and I could just hear the blood pouring into the toilet. I was like, okay, this is not good. So I promptly put myself on the bathroom floor. So just in case I did pass out, I didn't feel like I was going to pass out, but I was like, okay, I'm losing too much blood. My husband and I were kind of like talking about like what order to call people. um, If that makes sense, our next door neighbor, or she she lives a couple houses down. She was an ER nurse. um, So I was like, let's get her over because in that time I started like shaking, but like I was like jutting sideways and I thought maybe I was having a stroke or a seizure. Again, my husband has epilepsy, so seizures are on my mind a little bit. Um, and so I was like, okay, something's, something's not right here. Um, so we called our neighbor um, and then uh, my husband called our midwife and she's like, I'm at another birth. I can't come to you, which was like understandable, but at the same time, it was like, oh, dang it. (laughs) So we ended up calling the ambulance. By that time, when the ambulance got there, I had was completely laying on the floor. And um, my, my neighbor, that's a nurse, she was like massaging my uterus, but she, she said I was like completely white. um, And she was like, you you need to go to the hospital. Um, And so we were getting loaded up to go. But because of COVID, the baby couldn't come with me, my husband couldn't come with me. And so but they're like, Oh, well, if we go to this one hospital, they're still allowing visitors. So you might be able to get in there. And so I'm like, all right, like, that was not the hospital we were going to go to in the case of a transfer. But I was like, all right, COVID rules, like everything's off, like, let's just go there. So when I was laying on the floor, my nurse friend, she's like, She's like, what do you need? And I said, I need someone to keep my baby warm. I know my husband's not going to like, that's just not like a a dad thing, right? You know, like moms are like skin to skin, like dads are like, oh, baby, you know? So I was like, I need someone to keep my baby warm. And I was like, I need food. Like I'm, I'm baby's food. Like I, I don't have formula in the house. I don't. And so she's like, all right, I'll figure it out. And so I left in the ambulance and, um, my nurse friend is, trying to facilitate everything because my husband can't drive. So they're trying to like pack up my husband and the baby and to make sure that they had a ride to the hospital. And another uh, neighbor came over and she's, she's about my age. And so she was like strip like, and so she put that baby skin to skin on my, on another neighbor um, to keep her warm. And um, another mom, the one that had a home birth, like her baby was one. So she like brings this like little two ounces of milk to like, here, here, here's some milk for your baby. You know, it's just like, everyone was just so um, fast to think of like how to, how to help us, which was amazing. Like I, you know, in the COVID world, I thought we were going to get zero help and just how quickly when we needed it, it was there. So we get to the hospital um, and I'm, pretty nervous on the way. Like I was starting to feel a little bit better. Like all my mental faculties were there. I wasn't worried about, I wasn't unconscious at this point or, but I get up and they, they tell us, they're like, okay, we're going to bypass you for the ER because of COVID. And we're just going to take you straight up to labor and delivery. Um, so I was kind of like, okay, that's good. Right. That's good. 
Um, but they told me in the ER or in the, in the ambulance, they're like, you need a DNC and a blood transfusion um, because of just the amount of blood that I had lost. And so I was, you know, trying to emotionally prepare for, for that. And again, I didn't have my baby and um, I didn't know when I would see her next or see my husband next. So we get, we get there and I'm, I'm kind of getting ready for like the hounding of questions. Like you had a home birth, like, like you're crazy. And I didn't get any of that. They were like, Oh, okay. Like your baby's four hours old. And so it was like 180 of like what I expected the perception of being a home mom or a home birth transfer to what, what it was. And so I was very, very happy about that. Um, because I felt like I got better care. I wasn't, I didn't have boxing gloves on, right? Like I didn't have to defend my choices. They're like, oh, okay, great. And so, but the, the thing is, is I didn't think about this and being a VBAC mama, like I thought about VBAC so much my first, my, my first home birth, but my second home birth, like I didn't think about it at all. It wasn't until my midwife's like, oh, congratulations. You had a VBAC. And I was like, oh yeah, I did. Didn't I, <laughs> like, you know, like it just, it wasn't it wasn't that hounding thing that I constantly thought about. And so when I get to the hospital there, because of bleeding, one of the things that they'll give you is cytotech or Pitocin. Well, you can't have cytotech if you've had a, a, a C-section. And so they were like, okay, we're going to give you cytotech. And I was like, uh, I don't think I can have that. I've had a C-section. They're like, what? You're a VBAC and you didn't tell us. And I was like, didn't even think about it. You know, like, and I, I mean, I felt bad. I wasn't trying to withhold information. I just like, that never crossed my mind, like, oh, yeah, I, she's another reback baby kind of thing. And so it turns out that um, when you have precipitous labor, your chance of hemorrhaging is uh, substantially higher, um, just because the uterus doesn't fully contract back down. Well, anyways, I ended up having like a um, blood clot the size of a football um, that had developed like since after my midwife left and I was still doing uterine massages, but um, I was not doing it as, as aggressively as they were. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Um, and so once I was able, they were able to get that blood clot out and get um, a couple bags of Pitocin. Um, I ended up being fine. I didn't need um, a DNC and a blood transfusion, thankfully. But um, when all this is happening, my mom is three hours away and she calls like crying and, She's like, oh, are you okay? And, you know, just asking all the questions. And she's like, well, do you feel like you made a wrong choice in having a home birth? And I said, no, I just, I needed a little bit extra help. And so I went and got it. You know, like if, if you hemorrhaged in a hospital, people wouldn't think less of you or less of your birth if you needed a DNC or a blood transfusion or Pitocin post baby or like, that's just like, people wouldn't even think about that. But I feel like with a home birth that just like, opens you kind of opens you up to be like, oh, well, you did that wrong, or you did that wrong. And um, later, when I saw my family, um, my sister in law is, is an MD. And my mother in law was kind of asking me some questions like, oh, would you do another Humber? Or what happened? Like, why were you bleeding so much? Like, and I don't know if they were meaning it to be accusatory or anything. Um, I, I couldn't tell by their tone. And I'm, I, I'm not going to assume that. Um, but my sister-in-law pipes in, she's like, well, when you have precipitous labor, you're probably going to have like more blood loss, not, not, maybe not substantial enough, but, um, she's like, that's, that's really common. Like that wasn't anything our midwife did or didn't do. And, you know, like, um, but 
to me, it just, it actually, instead of scared me away from having a home birth, in fact, it did the opposite. It was like, when there's a medical need, like you transfer and you get help. Like it's not, I'm not going to die by my sword of having a home birth. You know, was I annoyed that I had to go to the hospital? Sure. Like I would have much rather have not had to go, but I'm, I needed to, and I'm not sad by it, you know? And so, um, it's what was in the best interest of me and my baby. So, and, and I always told my husband from the beginning, um, back before we even had our first home birth, I was like, you know, if we have to get transferred out because I risk out or baby's breach or whatever the reason, right. Then then I'm going to have a baby in that, you know, in the safest place possible. I believe that's at home for the vast majority of low risk women, but it's not for everybody. And it's okay that it's not for everybody. You know, um, as long as they honestly um, assess their risk, then they can make the best decision for where to birth their babies. Absolutely. So So then how has the rest of this postpartum time been for you just after all of that? I actually feel like this was probably one of the harder ones, um, probably because the blood loss was part of it. Um, again, um, the pandemic, not having like my mom here for a week to help me. And so, yeah, it was, it was about a week after she was born. I called my neighbor. She actually, the, the ER nurse, um, she, she brought me dinner. Um, I did have tons of meals. Thank, thank you neighborhood. <laughs> so, but my, um, my ear nearest friend came over and um, cause I was like, can you just check my blood pressure? Cause that, I was actually concerned too, that my blood pressure was, was high and I've never had blood pressure issues, but they think it was the Pitocin that caused my blood pressure to be high anyways. Um, but I just felt off and I was still like nervous about having strokes or whatever. And, you know, it's just like, when you ever think that something's wrong, like check your blood pressure, like do fetal kick counts if you're still pregnant, obviously, or, you know, like there, there are certain like really low thing, like low intervention things you can do to like assess risk. Um, and so my blood pressure was a little, a, a little high a week after. Um, and uh, my nurse friend's like, you need help. Like you've got four kids now all under the age of seven and it's a pandemic. <laughs> like you can't it's winter, you can't go outside. And, you know, so uh, she, she was like, I really think you need to call um, like my, my mom or my in-laws to, to come take the older kids. And they did. And um, just having like 48 hours with just my husband and then this, this little squishy here was, was what I needed. Um, and so I, I think there definitely can be challenges, you know, at different phases in life, whether it's your first kid or fifth kid or 12th kid you know, and then, you know, the, the pandemic definitely adds a layer of difficulty. And regardless of the situation, having support or people that you can call is, is a big thing. It's important because you're right. You have to be able to take that time and take care of yourself to be able to take care of your family and your other children. And, uh, I know the, the first day my husband had actually gone back to work. So he only had a week off this time. 
And uh, he was he's like, are you just going to sit on the couch all day and nurse? And I'm like, that's exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> like, that's exactly and, what you should do. <laughs> right, exactly. But, you know, it's just like I don't have to make meals for other kids or, you know, like address who has fighting over more magnetiles or goodness knows what's going on. But, but that's the oh, thing. Like, goodness. it's just when – you now have several kids, it it is harder just to sit in bed for a week or two and just relish in the new baby greatness. And um, there was also a big emotional component too. Um, And it's not only so much not getting help from like my in-laws or or my family, but it's like, they don't get that time with, with their grandchild either, you know? And so like, that was really hard for me. I was like, I'd love... I love snuggling my baby, but I'm okay letting someone else snuggle them for 10 minutes while I take a shower or, or whatever. And that wasn't there, you know, and um, I think grandparents are just so important. Um, And so that was really hard to be like, I see you come, but you can't hold my baby. Like that was like, I just, they never attacked me for it or anything, but I just like, it just, it was very hard for me to like, be like, you can't hold your brand new baby, your grandbaby, you know? So, um, that was, that, that was, uh, an emotional aspect that I did not realize would <clears throat> be so hard for me, um, in, in 2020. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my only other question is just for any moms who are maybe exploring the option of home birth or trying to decide whether or not, they want to go back to having a VBAC in the hospital or choosing to do it at home. Do you have any advice or anything that you've learned just from all of your experiences that you would want to pass on? I think one of the big things is not making a decision out of fear. Do your research and know your risk and being confident in the decision that you make. Um, Because labor and pregnancy, you're going to second guess yourself all the time all like anyways, but if you really have made a decision out of fear, um, I feel like that's going to negatively impact, um, your ability to birth your baby in, in whatever environment you choose. That would be my, my tidbit. Well, thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the home birth after cesarean podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.